Arsenal are said to have submitted an offer to Sheffield United for midfielder Sander Berger. We're going to be discussing the potential of that deal, whether it would be a good signing or not, and looking at whether this is the sign of a shift in Arsenal's transfer strategy. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguda, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna live as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition of the podcast, we're going to be discussing the reports that Arsenal have made an offer of around about 20 million euros for Sheffield United's Sander Berger, but that the Yorkshire-based club are trying to hold out for something closer to around 30 million. We're going to be discussing that. We're going to be discussing the idea of signing Sander Berger, whether it's an appealing one or not. We're going to be discussing Arsenal's wider transfer strategy um, and whatever else comes up in the chat. Uh, So really, really looking forward to this one. Hope you're all good. Big hello to everybody in the live chat. Hope you're all well. Feel free to get your comments in and your questions in uh, throughout the course of the show as well. In case you can't tell, I am exhausted. I've just been on the 90 Min show. Head over uh, to the 90 Min YouTube channel. Check it out. I had to defend my stance on Brendan Rodgers following, of course, the FA Cup final win uh, at the weekend. Uh, So that was quite draining, quite a tiring one. But I think I made a good fight of it. So head over and check it out. Um, Right, let's, let's get into it because... Reports have emerged today uh, suggesting that Arsenal have apparently uh, made a bid for Sander Berger. So let's take you through the story. Let's take you through uh, what is being said, what is being reported. And I just want to put a disclaimer at the beginning that says these stories that I bring you, they don't come from me. Okay, so I am bringing you uh, the story, but I am also crediting it to whoever it is that has broke the story, because first of all, that's the only right way to do it. It's the only fair way to do it. And uh, and equally, if they don't come off, I don't want it to come tumbling back down on me. Uh, so let's start off uh, with the um, the the origin of the Sanderberger story. So, you know, we've heard Arsenal link with this player for a while now. You know, it's not a new link. Um, we've heard it pretty much throughout the course of the season that he's somebody that Arsenal are interested in, somebody Arsenal are hoping to bring to the club. And, and, and from the story I'm reading, uh, it kind of confirms that. It says that Arsenal have uh, been tracking him for a number of months and are now believed to be leading the race for his signature in advance of the upcoming window. He had a release clause of £35 million. But once the season ends and Sheffield United are a championship side again, you know, we know they've already been relegated, but once the season ends and they they officially become a championship side again, that release clause gets slashed down from £35 million to £25 million. However, that is not what Arsenal are looking to pay for Sander Berger. Okay, £25 million is, is a lot more than Arsenal want to pay at this stage. Arsenal are said uh, to have already submitted a bid of £17 million, and that is according to Jonas Futo. I, th- I hope I've uh, pronounced that right. I just want to make sure um, that I've said that right. It is a, a French outlet, um, 
And as I say, they are the ones that say that Arsenal have launched that £17 million bid. You'll start to see it being reported in, in some of the other outlets as well. It's, it's a story that's gathering quite a bit of pace this evening. Uh, but apparently the Sheffield club are basically wanting to hold out for something closer to £25 million. They want to get closer to that release clause. So that's the story. That's what we're being told. We know that Arsenal have been looking at him for a while. Um, we know that Arsenal don't want to meet the release clause um, and that Sheffield United are trying to hold out for as close to £25 million as possible. It's also claimed that Berger's former employers, Genk, uh, are in line to receive between 10 and 20% of any transfer fee paid, which would explain why Sheffield United are, are desperate to squeeze out as much of uh, out as much from Arsenal as they possibly can. Uh, for those of you asking in the chat box, Sanderberg is a central midfield slash defensive midfielder, probably more of a defensive midfielder. Um, if you're going to go by my my view, but yeah, that's where he plays. Um, Apparently, he's widely expected to leave Sheffield United ahead of next season. And Tottenham and Liverpool are also said to be keeping an eye on his situation at Bramall Lane. So apart from the fact that there are other clubs uh, involved and that, you know, Arsenal are going to have to meet the price that Sheffield United want. It seems like the player, though, is desperate to play alongside Martin Odegaard. And according to Football.London, they are saying that for Arsenal to sign Sanderberger, for them to be in prime position with Sanderberger, they probably have to seal Martin Odegaard's future for at least another season as well. So they say that Sanderberger is very excited about the possibility of a move to Arsenal, but would be even more eager to join if Martin Odegaard stays at the club. Um, however, the same report claims that Real Madrid are determined to keep hold of the 22-year-old and suggests that Edu's going to have a really difficult job getting that deal over the line. So it's a difficult one. You know, it's a difficult one. Are Arsenal going to be able to keep Martin Odegaard? If they can, that would help them uh, along in negotiations with Sander Berger. But first of all, before we're even talking about the prospect of keeping Martin Odegaard, what that means, etc., etc., is Sander Berger the man we want? Is Sander Berger the player that's going to come into this Arsenal midfield and transform it? Is he the player? that comes in and becomes part of our core group alongside Granit Xhaka and Thomas Partey ahead of next season. Could Sander Berger's potential arrival signal the end for Granit Xhaka? They are very similar players in terms of the positions in which they like to play. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've watched Sander Berger on a number of, number of occasions outside of just when Arsenal have played Sheffield United. And I've never really looked at him and gone, wow. Um, you know, I, I just don't really see it. I'm I'm not really sure about him. And if I look at, and I'm only going by whoscored.com, but if I look at his average performance rating in the Premier League this season, where he's made 15 appearances, it's only 6.43 out of 10, which isn't exactly inspiring. Um, I say he's made 15 Premier League appearances this season and, and he's missed a, a really significant proportion of the campaign uh, between the 20th of December um, and the 24th of April, he wasn't even in the squad. Uh, had to undergo surgery on an injury. So that's another thing that kind of works against him in my book. You know, I'm, I know with players, it's it's really difficult to, to sort of hold them accountable for their injury records or, or to sort of make judgments based on that. But 
And, you know, in a way, it's not the way you want to do it. But I do worry about the fact that Sander Berger missed 21 games, 93 days for Sheffield United this season. I think when I was talking a little bit earlier on, on the previous podcast, and we were talking about Tosin, um, who I'm reliably informed it's pronounced Tosin Adaraboyo, not Adaraboyo. So it's Adaraboyo. Um, just just going back to that story that we t- we brought to you earlier on today. I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking this afternoon about Arsenal's recruitment strategy, about the best way to do it. I've been recording a couple of members bits and pieces uh, that is going to drop this week. And I've been sort of getting a little bit deeper into the whole recruitment policy, the whole workings out of it. And then I'm watching Brentford tonight in the playoffs and I, I started to think about the way Brentford do it and the way they've gone about bridging the gap between themselves and some bigger clubs and some more financially powerful clubs by being extremely clever in the way they go about their recruitment. And what I was thinking about was, think back to the better days of Arsenal. Think back to Arsenal's best days, right, that you can remember. And I know for a lot of us, that is the Arsene Wenger era, the prime Arsene Wenger era, the beginning of his Arsenal tenure. It might sound like I'm going off on a tangent here, but bear with me because I have got a point and I'm going to get there. Okay, but if you cast your mind back to when Arsene Wenger first came into the football club, why was he so successful? Why was he able to propel Arsenal into a position where they were able to challenge with Manchester United every single season? I'll tell you why. Because his recruitment was unbelievably good, unbelievably shrewd, unbelievably clever. And Arsene Wenger identified markets in which other people were not necessarily aware of, not necessarily as clued up on as they probably should have been, not necessarily as, um, you know, as um, as wise to. But in the years that have, have sort of come following that, we've seen other clubs get clued up on it. We've seen other clubs invest in scouting networks. We've seen other clubs be more open to going abroad and scouring the continent and the world even to bring in uh, talented players. But the basic basic concept of Arsene Wenger's philosophy when it came to recruitment and a large, large part, probably the biggest part of why Arsenal was so successful in those early days was his ability to identify signings that were low risk with the potential of very, very high reward. And if you go back to our podcast the other day when we discussed Alexander Lacazette, Pet Berisha was on and he talked about this as well. And it kind of set the, the 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 clock ticking in my mind about how it is that Arsenal go about their business, about how it is that Arsenal uh, should be looking to approach upcoming transfer markets. Low risk, as in low fee. Low risk, as in potential and low risk as in probably having a sell-on value. That's what we define as low risk. But the potential to bring you high reward, the potential to go on and develop and become one of the best in position, the potential to be able to be sold on. And if you approach transfer windows like that, you know, you can take this season, for example, right? You can take this summer, for example. I'm not for a second saying we shouldn't have signed Thomas Partey. I was as excited as everybody when we got that deal done. And we got that deal over the line. But with Thomas Partey, we essentially spent £45 million on our midfield. And we spent £45 million on a player that we expected to come in and completely turn our fortunes around. 
And like with any player, there is a risk that that doesn't necessarily work out. And I'm not even saying that Thomas Partey won't go on and become a really important player for Arsenal. He will. I'm sure of it. But he's had problems this season. He's had injury problems. He's had, I think, issues adapting to the league. And in those issues, it's led to Arsenal struggling. And and once you've gone and made a major signing like that, you can't then go out and bring in, you know, someone else in January to 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 compensate for the fact that he hasn't hit the ground running yet. Because yes, the reward from someone like Thomas Partey should be big, but the risk is also big and the cost is also big. If you go back to Matteo Genduzzi, he's a prime example of an Arsene Wenger, a, a, a prime Arsene Wenger type signing in the modern Arsenal era. Matteo Genduzzi signed for what? Seven, eight million pounds. The only way his value is ever going to go is up. We either sell him this summer. We don't lose any money. Um, we probably can recuperate what we got, what we paid for him. Or we sell him for a profit, albeit a small profit. But we're not going to lose on Matteo Genduzzi. So that's the type of signing I'm talking about when you talk about low risk, but potentially a very, very high reward. And Arsenal in recent years have almost abandoned that philosophy. You know, when I'm, when you're talking about Tosin, you're talking about a, a centre-back that might cost you £10 million. You could bring in three centre-backs at £10 million each who have potential and who could go on to greater things. And if you get one top-class centre-back out of those three, you've only spent £30 million on one good centre-back. And then whatever happens with the others, if you can recuperate anything, it's a bonus. I know I'm kind of, it feels like I'm talking ideal world scenarios, but what I'm talking about here is, is this shift in the recruitment strategy that has seen Arsenal fall behind. We went from signing players that were relatively unknowns who Arsene Wenger had spotted something in to spending £30 million on Shkodran Mustafi to overpaying for someone because he'd played at Valencia to signing Granit Xhaka for a lot of money to signing Alexander Lacazette for a lot of money to signing Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for a lot of money. And some of those transfers that I've just mentioned have worked out. Others haven't, you know, others haven't. And I also appreciate that we're, we're in a different era now and things are different. But it's all relative. It's like inflation, right? You compare the price at one time and then compare it to what it was at another time. It's lower in monetary value, but at the time it was of the still, it was still of the same cost to you. So I'm just wondering if the idea of of, of somebody like Tosin would be the first sign of Arsenal reverting back to that kind of strategy. Gabriel Martinelli is another example of a player who we spotted early saw some potential, got him in cheap through the door, and we're only going to earn out of that. We're only going to gain out of that. And I just find it really strange that Arsenal have abandoned that approach. We see it come up from time to time, but the fact that we're not identifying these players regularly probably tells us that in terms of our scouting, there's a lot to be desired. There's, there's a lot to improve on. And we know that Arsenal have made moves uh, recently to get 
scouts in to try and, and improve in that in that sense. So I'm wondering if the reports linking us with somebody like Tosin, along with the fact that we're hearing about scouts coming in, is the first sign of Arsenal switching uh, switching sort of approach in the transfer market, reverting back to what served us very well in the late 90s and early 2000s. I don't know. Maybe it's been forced upon us because of a lack of finance. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? But I, I'm just starting to get that vibe. I'm starting to get that vibe that the whole approach, the whole viewpoint from which the Arsenal hierarchy are looking at transfer windows is just shifting. I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. But then going back to the Sander Berger thing, you know, some people would argue that 17 million pounds in 2021 for a central midfield player is not uh, a big investment. And it isn't a massive investment. It isn't a huge investment. But Sander Berger doesn't really fit into that category that I was talking about. And that's why I've, I find it quite strange that we're being linked with this guy, that we are supposedly so keen on him. I know he's 23 years old and there is obviously potential to develop, but you've got to think, is Sander Berger going to reach a level whereby he will bring you either, you know, success on the pitch or contribute to success on the pitch? Or is he at a level where you could then sell him off, sell him on? Uh, for more down the line and at least recuperate your money. I wonder, I just, you know, we're not scouts. We don't watch these players week in, week out. I'm just wondering if this is, you know, it, it doesn't on the surface feel like that kind of signing that I'm talking about. But perhaps in the eyes of the Arsenal manager and Edu and, and those responsible at the club for identifying these players, that is what Sander Berger represents. I don't know. And in which case you might have to, we might have to trust, trust them a little bit. If they're going to, shift this approach. I mean, how many times like, there are some Wenger did, did the, the news pop up? Arsenal have signed this star for six, seven million pounds from French side. I don't know. And you'd be like, who the hell is that? But then they'd come in. Some of them would succeed. Some of them would add to the squad. Some of them would bring something to the table and others would stay there for a season or two and leave. But when they left, there wasn't a big song and dance about it because as I say, the risk, the cost in the context of things at that period and during that era was not particularly significant. So I'm just wondering if Arsenal's recruitment strategy is shifting. I hear people banging on about it all the time. Premier League proven players is what Arsenal need. Well, to be fair, the reports that we're seeing uh, over the last couple of days are linking us with Premier League players, albeit if they are Premier League players who plied their trade at clubs that have have been relegated. But that look, that doesn't mean there aren't players within those clubs that could bring something to Arsenal Football Club that could help us improve. And, and listen, the reality is, and I saw prior to me hitting the live button, I saw loads of you in the comments talking about this and saying, you know, what a downgrade. You know, this is not the type of player we want. And I'm not convinced about Sander Berger. I never have been. So I'm not going to sit here and preach to you and, and try and beat the drum. But what I am going to say is be a little bit maybe more open-minded about it. Because it doesn't necessarily mean that they are um, they are not good enough because they've played in struggling teams. You know, many a players have have gone from struggling teams to 
more successful teams and, and seen their careers taken up to and as a result of that. So I, I just wonder if Arsenal are, are changing their recruitment strategy to one where they're trying to go low risk with a potential of high reward, looking at players that they feel could develop under the right coaching that are available for cut prices, or if this is purely just Arsenal being absolutely broke and Arsenal desperately, as a result of their financial situation, trying to fill positions with players that most of us probably feel uh, are, are not at the level required. I don't know which one it is. I'd like to think it is deliberate. I'd like to think it is part of Arsenal shifting that transfer philosophy. But I can't be sure. And and the, the cynical side of me says it's probably a cost-cutting exercise, which is obviously not what I want it to be. But given the way the club's been run over the last few years, you, you have to believe that is a possibility. But yeah, let me know what you guys think in the comments. Is it the first or is it the latter? Is it Arsenal shifting their transfer strategy, given that we're being linked with, sorry, Sander Berger and Tosin Adaraboyo? Is it that Arsenal are looking to identify the gems that are going to fall away from the Premier League without being picked up? Is it Arsenal trying to be clever? Is it Arsenal with a deliberate plan? Or is it Arsenal trying to just simply save money, trying to do things on the cheap. The issue is that whatever you say, you have to remember that we are right now a mid-table team and financially we are in a really sticky situation. So I'm not saying you should accept mediocre signings or you should be happy with mediocre signings or you should be happy with the team being mediocre. But what I will say is this, you have to be realistic and you have to curb your expectations to make them realistic because there are people talking about Arsenal going out there this summer, signing Bissouma for £40 million, signing a striker for £40 million, signing a right back for £30 million and a backup left back for another £30 million. And that is simply not realistic. So we've got to try and find the middle ground here as a football club. But as fans, we've got to try and read between the lines and understand maybe what it is that Arsenal are trying to achieve uh, by supposedly going after these players and, and what the end goal of that is and how they think it will take us to the next level. Big hello to Nishith in the chat. He says, does us fans being open-minded or critical of transfer rumours affect the decision-making? We can just have an opinion of yes or no. It's not that it's not that we can have an impact on their decision making. And 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 quite frankly, I mean, I mean this with all due respect, yeah. Us as fans, what we know about these players, what I know about Sander Berger, would be a fraction of what Arsenal Football Club, if they've done their due diligence, know about this guy. So I could never be in a better position than Mikel Arteta to judge whether or not this guy would be the right fit for the club. But where we do make a difference as fans is, is this. When somebody comes into a football club and the opinion of them is already negative and the vibe around them is already one that they're going to fail, it, it, it sort of it filters through onto the pitch. You're in the stands, he gives the ball away. You get that moan and groan that you hear at the Emirates Stadium. He gives the ball away for a second time and that intensifies. 
a third time and a fourth time and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden you're battering that player's confidence and that doesn't help. And that is, you know, Arsenal fans are, are, are sort of notorious for being quite demanding. And what happens is, and I believe wrongly, is that if we don't get on board with a new signing and don't support a new signing when they first arrive, that sort of string that they've got where they can make mistakes, it just gets shorter and shorter uh, based on the preconception of them when they come in. And when that string runs out, then they're, they're gone, they fall. And, and and that's the problem here. So I don't think we can really directly influence, um, you know, who we sign. But I do think that when we do sign whoever it is that we're going to sign, we have to get behind them. Enigma says, uh, sorry, Harry, but you sound like a propaganda machine for the lower your expectation movement. I don't think there is anything wrong with being realistic in your expectations. I don't think there is anything wrong with being able to look at a situation from a calm perspective and and assessing it that way. You know, what's propaganda is people that go, oh, we went unbeaten in 2003, 2004. 2003, 2004. Do you know how long ago that was? I was 13 years old and I'm 30. I'm going to be 31. That was a different time. That was a different world. So if your level of expectation, having watched Arsenal steadily decline for years and years and years, at this point is still there, then it you don't need propaganda because you're brainwashed, you're deluded. And, and so what I'm saying is, yes, we should always strive to improve. Yes, we should always want to see more from the team. Yes, we should always want to be back at that level. But when people say manage your expectations, it's not because they want to be at a lower level. It's because they're being realistic about the situation. It is honestly as simple as that. It is honestly as simple as that. It, it isn't propaganda. Why would I put out propaganda for Arsenal to be bad? I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, some of you watch Arsenal Football Club, get upset about it, and then can go to work and yeah, it never really completely goes away, but you can switch off for it for a few hours because you've got other distractions. When I wake up on a Monday morning and I have to start work talking, writing, whatever it is about Arsenal and everything's negative and downbeat, it's draining, man. It is draining. It takes it out of you. It really does. And and you start to think and think and think and you end up going into digging into these rabbit holes of negative thoughts about where the club are going and how they're going to get out of it. So that's that's where I'm at. And and Ella says, Harry, but this is what the Cronkies want. They want us to accept the mediocrity and just remain silent. Look at Chelsea. Even when they win, they don't accept anything subpar. The Cronkies, you, you can be against the Cronkies and disagree with the way they run the club without being deluded in your expectations of the team. If you're telling me that you expect Arsenal to challenge for the Premier League next season, that would be deluded 
because we're not there. We're not there. If we want to talk about the reasons why we are not there and why we are a way away and, and pin a lot of that on them, which it should be, then that's fine. But Chelsea can afford to be the way they are because they have an owner who is willing to put his hand in his pocket each and every time he changes a manager and, and, and overhaul the group. Whether we like it or not, whether we think it's the right way or not, we cannot force the Cronkies to put their hands in their pockets and give Mikel Arteta 200, 250 million this summer, the way that Chelsea gave 250 million to Frank Lampard last summer. Two completely different operating models. And I agree, you know, people do criticise Chelsea and say they're ruthless and they're this and they're that and they don't do anything with class, but it has led to results. So fair play to Roman Abramovich because it works, it's proven. But me saying that I don't expect Arsenal to go out and spend 200 million this summer just means I won't be disappointed at the end of the transfer window and I won't be outraged about it because I didn't expect it in the first place. And there is nothing in recent evidence that suggests that you as a human being should wind yourself up to feeling as though Arsenal are going to spend that money this summer and then you end up... um, you know, end up seeing that not come to fruition and being upset and disappointed about it. Arsenal can get back to the top level. But for Arsenal to get back to the top level, it's going to take time, just like the decline took time. The decline at Arsenal has been going on for years and years and years. It's years of mismanagement that have led to us being a mid-table Premier League side. It's not Mikel Arteta's 18 months or whatever it's been in charge. It's years before that that have contributed to it as well. So that, that's, that's all I'm saying. Things don't change overnight. You know, they don't. You Your rise to the top will take time in a lot of cases. I mean, Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp, prime example, that was a five, six-year build to get to where they got to. And, and equally... You know, if they're going to decline and back down to the level that they were at before, then that is going to happen over five or six years time. So all I'm saying is, you know, this transfer window, we don't know how it's going to go yet. You know, we really don't. And I'm just wondering if we're seeing Arsenal as a football club looking at the situation and talking about a, a change in strategy. It's not me accepting Arsenal being in eighth position. Believe me, I'm not accepting of it. Not even in the slightest. Inny says, uh, in 2016, Liverpool finished eighth. They strengthened with a genie. A midfielder from relegated Newcastle has been pivotal in their surge. Assess each player on merit and the value to the squad. Agreed. And thank you, Inny, uh, for your very, very kind super chat donation, mate. Really, really appreciate it. But that's absolutely right. What Inny is saying there is spot on. There is proof if you go back in sort of recent history of players who have been picked up from struggling clubs and have gone on to a bigger club and succeeded. There's been sort of examples of ones that haven't as well, granted. But, you know, Arsenal, I believe, at this stage, are probably looking at that strategy, reassessing it, and they're planning to go a different way. And if it works, great, happy days. Um, I'll be delighted. If it doesn't, then it's back to the drawing board again. But, you know, I'm not saying that I want Arsenal to sign Sander Berger. To be honest, 
He's not a player that really jumps out at me. I'm not saying that I really want Arsenal to sign Tosin, who we talked about on the stream earlier today. What I will say, though, is all the signs are pointing to this shift in strategy. And the previous one obviously wasn't working. So let's see what happens, basically. Let's see what happens. That's all I'm saying. Interesting, deep debate here. Deep debate. Love it. Love it. We've got around about, um, I'm going to say about eight minutes left. So I'll pick up some questions from the chat. Get your questions in the live chat box. Uh, Cypriot Guna says, this is Arsenal FC. Our expectations should be right at the top. That's the standard we were at. And it's down to the owners to dig in their pockets. FFP is not an excuse anymore. I, FFP is a joke. It's an absolute shambles. The fact that Man City got done for it and then managed to just appeal their way out of it just highlights exactly uh, what it is, um, which is a joke and a laughing stock. I agree that Arsenal's expectations as a football club should be at the very top, but it's going to take time for us to get back to the very top and it's going to take a rebuild because it's not like it was before. You know, it's not like it was before. There is Manchester City, there is Chelsea, there is Man United, there is Liverpool, there is Tottenham. There is... Uh, Leicester City, who are even breaking into the mix. And you look at all of those clubs and you say, well, I'm not just trying to get above, you know, I'm not just trying to compete with one club now. I'm trying to compete with five or six. And you can easily get lost in the crowd when it's five or six teams punching at around about a similar level at the top of the foot, at the top of the table. So in terms of finances, you know, we've been really badly mismanaged. But the reality is that not going in, not getting in the Champions League again and not uh, having our owners put their hands in their pockets to to get us through that period or to pump the money in that bridges the gap between us and the Champions League positions means that we're going to have to go about it in a different way. And we're going to have to go about it in a way whereby we are managed exceptionally well by our manager, whether that be Mikel Arteta or somebody else. And and we're going to have to recruit right and we're going to have to recruit smart. Me saying that Arsenal have to recruit smart and that Arsenal have to be clever in the transfer market is not because I prefer that to Arsenal going and spending 50, 60 million pounds on three of the top players in the world. It's because I think it's the only way we we move forward and it takes time and people have to accept that. You know, they do. Uh, Space Monkey says, Hi, Harry, people are underestimating the clout Arsenal have in Europe. Arsenal probably has the highest number of fan base next to PSG in France. We can pull big players as well. I, I believe we can pull big players in terms of our stature and size as a football club. Yes. But money talks. It's why some of the best players in the world have joined Manchester City. What clout do Manchester City have? What history do Manchester City have? If you go back further than 10 years, they've got literally nothing. It's because the money talks and that's the reality of modern football. That is the way uh, modern football is. Leslie Sober says, Harry, is Sanderberger really an upgrade over Xhaka? Can he help us in getting where we need to be? I don't think he can. I would argue that at this moment in time, he's not an upgrade on Granite Xhaka. Completely agree with you. Completely agree. But the difference is, and, and why I'm talking about this, maybe the shift in Arsenal's philosophy is that in Granite Xhaka, you're talking about somebody that Arsenal spent quite a significant amount of money on, um, but he's 28 years old. He's coming to the, well, he's in his peak years, you'd argue, and probably doesn't carry much of a sell-on value anymore. Whereas with Sander Berger, you'd be looking at someone who's, what, 
how old is he? 23, 24, 23. And, and that's, that's what, you know, that's what I'm talking about when I say a change in philosophy. Are Arsenal looking at buying players that they can have, that they can sell on in the future? Are Arsenal looking at buying players for less money who have potential but haven't maybe necessarily fulfilled that yet and trying to bridge the gap on our rivals that way? I don't know. I don't know. I do I do really believe that there is a shift in the in the um the approach. Whether it'll work or not, though, that's uh that remains to be seen, of course. And that and we're not gonna know if that's gonna work until a little bit further down the line. Uh what else have we got? I'm gonna pick out one more question just because I am running out of time. I've got some work to do on the playoff games uh tonight. So I'll be jumping uh onto my sofa to watch uh, Brentford uh against Bournemouth in the first leg of that one in, in a few minutes time, which is why I've got a dash is a great, great debate though. And I'm sure we'll continue it on future shows. Uh, Harry, do you know of any 12 million pound relegation clause in Sanderberg's contract? I assume it wasn't true as we're seeing 30 million euro holdouts. I don't know of any clause that was in his contract. The, the information that I've read, and I'm sure it's the same information that you've all read is that Sanderberger had a 20, uh, 35 million pound release clause. And that goes down to to 25 off the back of that relegation. So maybe uh, we'll be able to get the deal done uh, even less than that, because, of course, Arsenal, Stratford Cash, and I'm sure Sheffield United, even though they have that uh, clause that protects them in there, I think they'd probably uh, be willing to negotiate at slightly less um, when they sort of review their finances and look at where they are in the championship uh, or how they're going to look to plot their return from the championship next season. So, yeah, it's just a bit of a safety net for them. But I do think a deal could potentially be done at less. So we'll see. But, yeah, going to leave it there just to, just to summarise. So Arsenal apparently have made an offer of around £17 million. That's €20 million ish for Sheffield United's Sander Berger. But they are holding out for around about €30 million Euros which is around about £25 million. Arsenal are confident that they can get a deal done for less than that. And it's also been reported by Football.London that a big factor that would help Sander Berger decide whether Arsenal is the place for him would be whether or not the Gunners can hold on to his Norwegian compatriot, Martin Odegaard, for a bit longer. So we're going to have to see how all of this pans out. Again, similarly to when I was talking about Tosin earlier on, it's not one that jumps out at me as being exciting but I just wonder I just wonder taking into consideration the players that Arsenal are being linked with at present if the Gunners are starting to shift their transfer policy are we starting to see the beginning of a new transfer strategy that might see Arsenal get greater success that might see Arsenal uh, be able to perform uh, to a, a higher standard while at the same time taking into consideration and and taking into account the financial difficulties that we've been going through in the last few years and probably will go through for a couple more. So let's see. Um, Let's see how it goes. But as I say, it's just something to think about. Sander Berger, not the most exciting prospect in the world. Neither is Tosin Adaraboyo, but... But is this the beginning of Arsenal looking to identify players in a different way, in a way that might, the key word is might, prove to be more effective. Let me know your thoughts. Drop them in the comments section below. And just a quick reminder before I leave you that this podcast is brought to you by manscaped.com. So if you wish uh, to um, 
to get some equipment in to deal with those male grooming needs, especially with lockdown coming up and uh, lockdown being lifted, I should say. Um, I'm so used to saying lockdowns coming up that it just feels like the norm right now. But if you're looking to get out there, get out in the town, go on the pool uh, with the uh, restrictions now starting to lift, head over to manscaped.com, enter the discount code 90min20 and you'll get 20% off of your order. Um, that's on any Manscaped products, whether that's the Lawnmower 3.0, some of the ball deodorant or ball uh, toner. There's <laughs> unbelievable stuff on offer. Check it all out. Check it out. And um, yeah use the discount code. You can save yourself a fair amount of money. I'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal content. Have a little think about that question. Is this the beginning of Arsenal changing their transfer strategy? Let me know in the comments. Hit the like button on your way out and subscribe to the channel if you're new. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguda, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.